This week I spent as much or more time in the Word than I normally do. I spent as much or more time in prayer than I normally do. I spent as much or more time just listening to God than I normally do. And I didn't make it past where I was last week. I just kept going back to chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, and really focusing on verse 17 of 1 John. I continue to read, I continue to study, I continue to pray. God continued to speak to me, and I'm like, okay, Anita, do you think it's okay that um, I sort of preach on the same verse? I mean, I want to talk about some different things, but if I can teach on the same verse. And I'm like, if that's what God is speaking to me, that I can trust, so that was, that's what God wants me to share with you. That I would shepherd us in that way, and that as God speaks to me, I pray that God would speak to you. And it's been something that He's wanted to, I think, work over in me. Um, that he's wanted to do in my life. And I'm excited to share it. So as we think about that, and think about last week, what we talked about of this love of the world versus this love of the Father. And then it says in verse 15, it says, "If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him." We can't have both. We can't love God and we can't love the world. We have to choose. It's not both and, it's either or. I remember I told you guys last week about Larry having to choose. He had to choose about which soccer team he was going to root for. Was he going to stand with me or was he going to stand with the Browns? So you've got to choose now. You can't split halfway during the game. You can't be on both sides. You need to choose one way or the other. And last week, that Larry chose wisely. He was with me. This week, not so wisely. He was still with me, and we were on the wrong end of the score. But I said, we have to choose God. Are we going to choose God, or are we going to choose the world? And I think that we don't come to that place where we want to choose, where we want to actually decide, where we actually want to put God in first place and give Him that priority, because we don't understand love. We don't understand what love truly looks like. And I talked about that love is about position, and it's about priority. That if we love God, that He would have first place. And I think we understand that, we get that, but we have that difficulty in our life as we start to have these other competing priorities. We start to put all these things in and we slowly start to bring God down. We keep Him first, but all these other competing priorities with our, our, our spouse, with our family, with our church, all these other things, they start to compete with God. They're good things. The things of the world are not necessarily bad. But when we over-desire them, when we desire them more than God, they start to compete with Him and they become sinful. Priority is something that deserves our attention before all other competing alternatives. It's the attention that someone or something is given. When we give that attention, it's a true demonstration of its position in our life. So we can say that God is first, but if you watch our lives and you watch what we do, you watch what we give priorities, it actually shows and demonstrates what does have first position, what does have first place. And as I was studying this passage in the verse 17, it says, The world is passing away, and also its lusts. The world and its good gifts, all that God has given us, it's temporary. Our lives, as we're being reminded of this morning, are temporary. And even those over-desires that we talk about, those lusts of the world, they're temporary. And this week, as I consider this, I'm like, why in the world? Why in the world would we give and have, to have this difficult time determining what our priorities are for something that's temporary versus something that's eternal. 
And I talked about last week that I don't think that our approach should be that we, we look at our lives and say, well, what do I desire more than God? It's that we should look at God and say, but who is it that I under-desire? Do I under-desire God? Not do I over-desire other things. I talked about God deserves to be this epi-desire. He deserves to be the center of the center of our desires, our main desire, the one desire, the thing that drives us, the thing that we prioritize, the thing that we go after, the thing that's above all other things. He wants to be the epi-desire. And we prayed this prayer last week at the end of the service, Psalm 73, verse 25 through 26. It says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I tried to say that this week. I tried to pray that this week. And I was overwhelmed with it. I was overwhelmed with even saying that out loud. I'm like, is this true for me? Is this true for me that I desire Him above all other things? There's nothing else on earth that I desire more than Him. And I want to ask you, is that true for you? And it's not, is it true in your mind? You might say, well, I think I believe that. I think I know that. And if you look at verse 17, it doesn't say it's the one who understands the will of God. We can understand the will of God. We can know the, re- the, word, the will of God. We can study the will of God. But God's not necessarily concerned that we understand the will of God. And you say, well, I, I, I feel it. I, I get it from my head. I, I have these desires, I think, in my heart. And again, the word doesn't say it's the one who has, that feels passion for the will of God. That I'm excited about the will of God. I think all those things are good to know the will of God, to have passion for the will of God. But what the, past, uh, what the verse says, is this true in your life? The one who does the will of God. says the one who does the will of God lives forever. It has to be what we know. It has to be what we feel. And those knowledge and that feelings has to work its way out. It has to actually be demonstrated in our lives. And as we consider this will of God in the context of 1 John, we talked about context a lot last week, and the context of 1 John is that we would love God and that we would love others. So this isn't a new command. This isn't a, it's a new command because it's new in you and it's new in Christ, but this is a command that's old, to love God and love your neighbor. If we're going to walk like Jesus, then we have to love like Jesus. God commands, God demands, and God deserves our love. And he wants to be first. It's love God and love your neighbor. We have to love God first. We have to give him priority. And when we do that, then we have the ability, we have the strength, we have the desire to love our neighbor. We can't do both at the same time. We can't start with our neighbor and then try and go back to God. We have to start with God. He has to be first and he has to be the priority. It must be done. It must be experienced. So love may start with knowledge. But I would tell you that it's fulfilled with experience. We have to experience this love. And I thought about my marriage, and I wish that I understood it better when I stood at Bel Air West Baptist Church in Houston. And I said my vows. I actually said them to the pastor and not to Nita. Nobody told me to actually turn and look to her. So some could have said that I got married to Brother Murphy. But I thought that I was making a declaration of my love, of my love for Nidia. But what I understand now is I was making a declaration to love her. 
I knew her somewhat as best as I can know her from spending a summer with her and then spending long distance relationship with her for a year and writing letters to her I knew somewhat of Nidia but I had limited experience I could have feelings for her I had passion for her I wanted to be with her but my experience was limited and so when I stood there and when I proclaimed that I would love her it was not my love that I was proclaiming it was proclaiming that I was going to love her that I was going to have this experience with her, I was going to have this relationship with her, that our lives would be intertwined, that we would be together, that we wouldn't be separate, that we would experience each other, that we'd live together, that we'd be together, that we'd be one, we'd be unified. And I wouldn't forsake her, I wouldn't leave her until death do us part, that we would be together. That's what I was proclaiming. And it's the same with our relationship with God. We can come before Him, we can know Him, we can have feelings about Him, But when we say, God, I want to love you, when we say, love God, he says, we need to experience him. We need to be with him. We need to intertwine ourselves with him. We need to be unified with him. We need to, what he's about, we're about. God wants to be understood. He wants to be desired. But those things lead to experiencing him, to being with him, to delighting in him. It's the same thing. If I would have said those words to Nidia and we got married, and I said, well, that's great, we're married now, I'm going to go live back in Georgia and you can live in Texas, we'd be technically married, but our experience wouldn't have changed. I would have still known her, I'd have still had feelings for her and passion for her and desire for her, but I had to experience life with her. I had to walk with her, I had to be with her. It's the same with God. We can come to Him, we can profess this, and we can say we want to be with Him, we say we love Him, we know Him. But we want to, we have to move to experiencing Him. And so I would say the experience is the culmination of our understanding and our desire of God. If we understand God and we desire Him, then we're going to seek to experience Him. We're going to seek to be with Him. So do you desire God? Do you really desire God? I was asking myself this week over and over again, do I desire God? Do I long to experience Him? Do I long to be with Him? And to experience Him, I have to be in His presence. To experience Him, you have to be with Him. You have to go before Him. A growing love, maturing love, requires experience, which requires presence. For our love to grow for Christ, we have to be in His presence. As I got my hair cut, I was talking to the lady and she was telling me how many years she had been married and I couldn't believe she seemed younger than I thought and she'd been married 13 years and she had two kids and she starts to tell me all these things I'm not really asking questions but she keeps on telling me about her life and about her family and she's like well yeah I've been married for 13 years and we've been able to stay together I actually still like him I think it's because we haven't actually spent that much time together She's like, because I'm a hairstylist and I work during the week and I work during the day and my days off are Tuesday and Wednesday and his days off are Saturday and Sunday and so we kind of pass each other but we don't have to spend so much time together and so it's like we haven't gotten tired of each other because we haven't experienced each other completely. And I thought about that. I'm like, well, that's what the world thinks. That's what we think in our marriages. That's what we think in our relationships. That, that absence makes the heart grow fonder. And if uh, these relationships that we're not always together, we're not going to get tired of each other. We're not going to get over, overdone with each other. But God is just the opposite. The more we're in His presence, the more we experience Him, 
the more that we'll love Him and that we'll want to be with Him. So we have to pursue the presence of God. We have to pursue Him. If, it, if, if we're not in the presence of, with Him, then I would tell you you're not loving Him. If you're not in the presence of God, you do not love Him. If you're not going before Him, spending time with Him, interacting with Him, relating with Him, you don't love Him. And so are you in His presence? Were you in His presence today? Were you in His presence this week? Have you been in His presence this month? Have you spent time with Him? Have you heard from Him? Have you talked back to Him? Have you shared with Him? Have you just sat there and be with God? And so I think this presence of God is misunderstood. If, we, if you would go to a theology class, the first thing you would learn is about all the omnis of God, the, His character, His omni, omniscient, He's om, omnipresent, which means He's all-present. We all know that. We can all answer that on a multiple-choice test. Okay, I know God is everywhere. I know God is close to me. And as we look at the psalm, Psalm 139, 7-12, it says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. We know that God is there. We know that God is real. But sometimes I think we forget that. We don't experience God's presence. We don't really live our lives thinking and understanding and knowing that He's there. We don't perceive it with our senses. We don't fully recognize it with our minds. We know it in our heads, but we don't experience it. And when I talk about God being equally near, it's not a nearness of place that we need to seek. God is close to us as He's ever going to be. He's as close to me as He is to you. He's as close to a believer as He is to a non-believer. Physically, in the place, He's close to us in that way. It doesn't change. We can't run from Him. We can't get closer to Him. But there is a difference in this nearness of relationship. And that's what John is talking about. We have the opportunity to be close to Him, to be near Him in our relationship. Fellowship that John has been talking about is the presence of this relationship restored. We've had our relationship with God restored. If you know God, remember he just said in the verses before, he's like, you, your sins have been forgiven, you know Him, you've overcome the evil one, you know Him, you've overcome the evil one, you get to have this fellowship, you get to experience God, we get to be with Him, to be together and to do together. He's our advocate. He's done that for us. We have this full opportunity to know Him relationally, be close with Him relationally. With the Father, with Jesus Christ, and with each other. And remember, John says, I'm writing this letter so you can experience that fellowship. And so as believers, if you profess faith in Christ, if you have received that forgiveness, if you have this opportunity to know Him, if you've overcome the evil one, then I believe that God has put this desire in us to experience Him. He's placed this desire in us that we want to experience God. But as He's placed this uh, desire in us, this desire must be cultivated. We have to be active with it. 
We have to do something about it. It's like our physical fitness. It's like being in shape. If we exercise it, if we continue with it, if we continue on and continue on, our muscles are going to grow. Our, our, we're going to get stronger and stronger. We're going to experience this physical health. But if we neglect it, I've experienced this more than I want. Things start to atrophy. Things start to change shape. Things start to just sort of fall apart. When we neglect it, it just dwindles away. And it's the same with God. He's given us this desire. We have this desire to be with Him. And if we don't exercise it, if we don't work on it, it goes away. We have to be consistent with it, just like exercise. We have to continue on. We have to continue day after day after day, continuing to seek Him. If we take several days off, it's like starting all back over. You know how it is. If you've exercised and you get excited and you go for two weeks and you're feeling great, and all of a sudden the holiday comes and you fill up with food and you start to rest and to start back over is difficult. And God wants us to be consistent. He wants us to be consistent in experiencing His presence. And it takes time for results. I think we're so impatient. We want to go to God and we want to spend our 15 minutes and say, God, I spent my time with you. I prayed to you. I was in the Word with you. And you didn't show up. I'm waiting to experience this. I want to know you. But we don't do anything about it. And so we continue slowly to atrophy. We continue slowly just to get weaker and weaker, not enjoying the presence of God. And God doesn't force this upon us. It's not His sovereign will that He will ensure that we experience Him completely and fully as He desires. God's not going to force you to do that. It has to be cultivated. It has to be our active pursuit. That's God's will for our life is to seek Him, is to desire Him, is to spend time with Him, to be in His presence. It's our life's work. It's why we're here. And it will take a lifetime. It takes time and it takes dedication. It's not that, well, God, I put a daily Bible verse app on my phone and it emails to me every morning and I read that verse and I'm encouraged by it. It's not that, well, I downloaded some songs, some Christian songs on my iPod, and while I'm working out or while I'm falling asleep, I try and listen to those songs. It's not that, well, I, I try and listen to an extra sermon each week on my way back and forth to work in the car. You can say, I'm doing all those things, God, and I'm not experiencing you. I'm doing all those things, God, and I'm not feeling your presence. I'm not growing in you. I don't, I'm growing a desire for you. And I'm not saying that those things are bad. I'm not saying that those things are wrong. But I just think God is sitting there and He's saying, please, like Trent told us, like, I've, I've told you what I need you to do. I want you to love me and I want you to love others. Like, don't lick the floor. It's not good for you. All I want from you is for you to come before me. I want you to sit in my presence. I want you to be there with me. I want you to be still and I want you to hear from me. I want to speak to you. I want to show you my presence. I want to hear from you. I want you to share your heart with me. I just want you to be with me. I want you to read my word and hear from me. Just sit down. Just be still. Quit being so busy. I want to show myself to you. So loving God is pursuing His presence and cultivating this desire until it becomes the greatest priority in our life. That's what loving God is. This desire would become our highest priority. He would become first and that would be our priority above and beyond all other things. And so when He's our greatest priority, then we get to experience Him fully. 
If God is our greatest priority, then we get to experience Him fully. We get to experience the God of the universe, the God that created us, the God that loves us, the God that sent His Son for us. We get to experience Him as He becomes our priority. And I'm like, well, who doesn't want that? Why would we not do that? Who would not want to do that? Who would not want to know that God and experience Him and being His presence? None of us would say that. None of us would admit that. But why, is it, why are we so inconsistent with our pursuit of God and our pursuit of His presence? Why do we start and stop? Why do we give up? Why do we let ourselves atrophy and then try and build back up and try and be with Him and we go and we stop and we go and we stop? And we pretty much just remain out of shape. We pretty much just remain out of His presence. And as I was reading and studying and asking myself these things, asking myself, why is that? Why does my life look like that? Why does my life feel like that at times? And I felt like this was amazing when I saw it. Maybe it sounds simple. But it's sin and it's fear. Sin and fear keep me from the presence of God. And as I was looking, I want to read back in Genesis where I was last week. So Genesis 3, I read uh, verses 6 through 7. When we were talking about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It says, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So when Adam and Eve over-desired these other things, these good things, these gifts of God, when they put those things before God and they prioritized them more than God, sin entered the world. Their relationships were broken. Their relationship internally, their relationship with each other, their relationship with God, their relationship with creation, everything fell apart. And right after that, look in verse 8, continuing on. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God was present. He was there. He was in the garden. They heard Him. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves from God. They over-prioritized. They put these other things in first place, sin came in, and then they decided, I need to hide myself from the presence of God. I can't be with God. I need to hide. I need to get away. I'm naked. I'm vulnerable. But the Lord called to the man. But God called them. God pursued them. God came after them. And He said to them, Where are you? And He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. I over-prioritized other things. I put other things in your place. Sin entered in. And now I'm afraid. And now I don't want to be in your presence. I hear you coming. I hear you in the garden. And I'm going to go run and hide. And I think that's what we do. As I consider, like, God, why won't I desire you? Why wouldn't I just seek to be in your presence? Why wouldn't that be continual? Why wouldn't that be just the, the every thought of my, of my life? It's like, because I'm scared. I'm scared to be in God's presence. God may see me for who I truly am. He may see me completely, and then I'm going to have to see Him. And then what's that going to mean? And what's that going to mean for my life? And what is He going to ask of me? What is He going to want me to do? I don't know if I can handle His love and handle His presence, and I truly am fearful of it. 
I'm naked. I'm vulnerable. And as I was considering this last week, I would have to say, well, the thing is, is we've just got all these other priorities and we're just too busy, we have too little time, and we have too many responsibilities. That's our problem. That's why we don't seek the presence of God. That's why we don't put Him first. That's why we over-prioritize other things instead of God. Because I've just got all these things to do, God. Like, how am I supposed to? Remember I talked about my, my, my day or my responsibilities in this pie graph and uh, with seeking God with having a wife and four children and working in a church and all these things and coaching soccer and having to try and prepare for Trent's team. There's all these things to do, all these things that are good, all these things that I need to focus on. And that's what I'm like, God, I just need more time. I just need more time. Or maybe we need to figure out what it is that we need to let go of. And then this week, as I told you, Nita and I had four days, five nights. It's a ministry from Cornerstone. We were able to go. It was my, Nita and myself and then four other pastors and their wives. We went away. In the San Bernardino forest, we're in this mountain home, this lodge, just the 12 of us. They prepared, our, they prepared breakfast, they prepared lunch, they prepared dinner. And the only thing we had to do was show up for dinner. The only thing we had to do was eat together. Otherwise, we were on our own and we were just told, go seek God. Go be alone with God. Go be in God's presence. I was so excited about being away from all these things that I had to do of all these responsibilities that I had. You got there, he was like, turn off your phones, turn off your computers, don't be connected, turn it, shut it all down. I'm like, cool, this is great. And as soon as I did that, we woke up that first morning, I was like, what am I going to do now? Okay, I just spent, you know, 30 minutes with God, I was reading in His Word, now what am I going to do? I don't have anything else to do. I don't have anything else I have to accomplish. I don't have anything else that's weighing on me. And like, but I'm, I was struggling to be with God. It took me two days of struggling with that. Two days of wanting to turn my phone back on. Two days of wanting to focus on something else or read something else or think about something else, be concerned with something else before I finally just said, God, I want to be with you. I'm not scared to be with you. I'm going to come before you. I'm not going to hide from your presence. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to be with you. And Nina and I were when, and we, we hiked out to this waterfall, and I sat there on this rock, and we sat there for four hours, and I just said, God, I'm just going to sit here, and I'm just going to be still. I'm just going to be in your presence. I'm just going to read your word. I'm just going to pray to you. I'm just going to stop. I'm going to stop everything else. I realized that I was avoiding God by being busy. I would prefer to be busy. And so do you really have too much to do? When all of my things to do were taken away, I still didn't desire right off to be in the presence of God. God had to work me over. I had to stop. I had to be in His presence. I had to go before Him. I had to be humbled. I had to submit myself. And I had to get over my sin and I had to get over my fear. Say, God, I just truly do want to be with you. So how do we get past this sin and how do we get past this fear? The results in our desire not to seek God, not to be in His presence, but to hide from God. How do we get past that? How do we deal with that on a daily basis? And so I think we have to first receive His grace. It's by God's grace that we can do that. God has to strengthen us through His grace. But I think also we have to consider the reward. 
And you're maybe saying, so we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to seek that. We're supposed to go after that because we're promised a reward. It's not from the goodness of my heart. It's not from just because I just feel this and it's just inside me. And I just, I want to, it's, this is all me, God. I'm coming to you on my own and I just want to seek you and I just want to find you. And I would say, no. As you look at this passage, it said, the one who does the will of God will live forever. God rewards those who seek Him. When we seek Him, we get to experience Him. We get to delight in Him. We get to have His presence. It is better than anything that we can imagine. It's better than anything else that we can distract ourselves with. And I want to read this quote from C.S. Lewis about rewards and about seeking God, about being in His presence. He says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our, finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We don't desire enough. We're pleased so easily. We're pleased with the busyness of our lives. We're pleased with doing things. And God says, I want you to be pleased with my presence. I want you to find that the thing that, you're, that you desire. That would be your epi desire. That would be what you're about. That would be the thing that you're after. And God's purpose and will in everything is for His glory. And that seems a little backwards when He says, I want you to seek me. You're going to have this reward. And how is that going to be for His glory? How is it going to be that it's for God's glory if I'm getting this reward? But I would tell you that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God wants us to be satisfied in Him. When we are satisfied in Him, when we're in His presence, when we enjoy Him, when we're encouraged by Him, when we experience that, God is glorified in our lives. He's glorified in everything that we do. He's raised up. Let me say it in another way. Jesus is highly praised when He's highly prized. If we highly prize Jesus, we will highly praise Him. Our life will be praised to Him. And as we were coming back on Friday morning, or actually as we went out on Sunday night, we were going through this mountain town, and we saw this, it was called Green Spot Local Store, or Grocery Store, this little country store in the mountains, and all painted all over this building were world-famous beef jerky. I mean, it was like 10 times. You couldn't miss it. The sign said it, the side of the building said it, on the door it said it, but it was closed. But as we, walk, as we drove by it, he was like, Ernesto, he's so weird, but he loves beef jerky. Like, he has this desire for beef jerky. And like, okay, we've got to remember, and we told each other we're going to forget this, but we've got to remember, when we come back on Friday, we have to stop by the store and we have to get Ernesto some of this world-famous, the best, best beef jerky in the United States. We've got to stop by there and get it. And somehow, God, with His grace, we remembered. And we're driving home on Friday. I'm like, there it is. We've got to stop. We've got to get this beef jerky. We've got to go in. And I go into this store, and it's an old country store. And you know where the door just kind of swings back and forth. It doesn't stay shut. The guy's sitting on the front porch in his wheelchair, and his wife's sitting with him. And as I come in, she gets up. And she's like, well, what can I help you with? And I, think, and I said, well, I think I'm just here. I just want to figure out. I'm looking to, to buy some beef jerky. And when I said, I'm interested in the beef jerky, her eyes lit up. She's like, 
Oh, we've got beef jerky. Let me take you back here and show you the beef jerky. And I had my camera because I wanted to show Ernesto, look at how proud they were of their beef jerky. And I go inside and she's like, well, let me take you over here to the case. I'm like, the case? She's like, yeah, the case of beef jerky. And they had a case and she, it's this glass, you know, like you're at the deli in this glass and you're looking at these plates and plates of beef jerky, an entire glass case full of beef jerky, all these different types of beef jerky. And I said, can I take a picture? He said, oh yeah, you can take a picture. And she says, let me clean it up. She's like, hold on, there's a little bit hanging out of the tray. I want to get them all in the tray before you take the picture. And she cleans it up and she steps back. She says, oh, isn't it beautiful this morning? The beef jerky is beautiful. It looks great. And I'm starting to feel a little uncomfortable how much this lady was excited about her beef jerky. And I was like, well, she's like, well, what do you want? And I was like, well, there's so many choices. I mean, where would you suggest that I start? And she's like, well... If you're a beginner, then I would start with the original. You need to start with the original Green Spot beef jerky. And I'm like, okay, I'll have some of the original. And she's like, listen, this is the best beef jerky around. And she just kept talking about her jerky. And she's like, you know, I don't trade beef jerky with anybody here. The only person that I'll trade with, I found this one guy in Montana, and I'll trade with him our beef jerky because he has this exotic beef beef jerky. He has buffalo beef jerky. And I'll trade with him, but nobody around. You're not going to find better beef jerky than this. And she just kept talking about her beef jerky. She prized it. She wanted to make it look good. It was all she could think about. She was wanting me to understand that. She was wanting to show that to me. She wanted me to feel the same way. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to prize Him in that way. That beef jerky was her priority. She woke up, she prepared it that morning, she fixed it, she put it out, and she wanted to sell some. She wanted to tell people about it. If we would get in the presence of God, if we would make Him our priority, that's what He would do in our hearts. That's what He would do with our desires. He would grow them. We would prize Him. He would become our treasure. And He wants us to have that fellowship with Him. He wants us to be with Him and He wants us to do with Him. To be our greatest priority. Paul says in Philippians 3.8, He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything else I count as loss because I get to know Jesus Christ. For His sake I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. It doesn't make any difference to me. Just so that in order that I might know Christ, that I might be in His presence, that I might feel His love, I might experience His love. God wants to be our treasure. Something I was reading this week from A.W. Tozer. He says, The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. And I think sometimes we think, if I make God first, if I make Him the priority, what else am I going to have to give up? What's it going to cost me? I mean, the Bible says it's going to cost me my life. Am I going to have to give up other relationships? Am I going to have to give up other experiences? Am I going to have to give up good, fun, enjoyable things? And he says, many ordinary treasures may be denied may be denied him. Or if he is allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will never be necessary to his happiness. Or if he must see them go one after one, he will scarcely feel a sense of loss for having the source of all things. He has in one all satisfaction. In one he has all pleasure. In one, the one, he has all delight whatever he may lose he has actually lost nothing for he now has it all in one 
and he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. God offers us everything in his presence. Everything that we can imagine. It won't compare what we have to give up to be in his presence, to experience him, to know him, to delight in him. Remember how Matt talked about this sponge and he wet the floor? And we're supposed to take in this love of God, absorb this love of God, saturate in the love of God, and it fills us. And then through that, we're to pour that love of God out to others. We're to love God in that way. And then through that, through God's love filling us, we're to love our neighbor. We have to soak in it. We have to be in the presence. We can't get that from afar. The sponge doesn't get water unless it's submerged in the water, unless it gets in the water, unless it experiences the water. Only then can we truly pour it out on others. We have to do that. Soaking in the love of God through the experience of His presence, it must be a priority in our lives. And it has to be the priority for living stones. Before all other things, before anything else that we do, we think about, that we consider, God has to be first. And our passion, our desire, the thing that we go after has to be to be in the presence of God. We have to be in the presence of God first, and we have to be in the presence of God. That has to be most important. And if we do that, everything else falls into place. If we do that, we'll be reconciled. If we do that, our relationships will be reconciled. If we do that, this neighborhood will be restored. God will change us. God will transform us. He'll transform this neighborhood. And God will be glorified. He will be glorified when we are satisfied in Him. And so my prayer this morning is that we would be truly satisfied in Him. It took me a while this week to actually get to the point where God, okay, I'm going to be in your presence. God, okay, I'm going to stop thinking about other things. I'm going to quit being busy in my mind when the things were taken away from me physically. And I'm just going to be with you. God wants us to be in his presence. And so I want to challenge each of us this week. I want to challenge each of you today to stop and be in his presence. See what it does. See how it changes you. See how... God will change your heart, how He'll change your perspective, how He'll give you joy, how you'll have that fellowship. But don't think because you do it today, it's going to be great tomorrow. It's got to be consistent. It's got to be over time. It's got to be daily. It's got to be again and again and again that we would go to God and we would experience Him. Make that a priority. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for Your presence. What an amazing thing, Father, that you offer that to us. Lord, that you are holy, that you are perfect, that you are completely different than us, Father. Lord, we have sinned against you. Our relationship has been broken, Father, but you have sent your Son, Lord, and he is our advocate, as John has told us, Lord. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should die, Father. And He's restored that relationship with You, Lord. He's given us this opportunity to have fellowship with You, Lord. Lord, and I pray that we would not be distracted by good things, Father. Distracted by um, gifts that You've given us. Distracted by things of this world, Father. We wouldn't over-desire them, Lord. That we would focus on You, Lord. That You would be first and that You would be the priority, Lord. You would be most important in our lives. Lord, and that You would overwhelm us with Your presence, Father. Lord, give us the grace to walk in Your presence regularly. Give us the grace to come before You, Father. Lord, help us to see that it's not that we're too busy, 
It's not that we have too many responsibilities, Father, but there is a fear in us, Lord, to be in your presence. There's a fear in us to be vulnerable before you, to be naked before you, Father. Lord, and I pray that you would push us beyond that, Father, because of your grace and because of this reward that you promise us, Father. Lord, that we might grasp that, Lord, the reward of your presence, Father, that is beyond all other treasures, Lord. Lord, I pray that I would prize you. I pray that we would prize you, Father. Lord, that as you become our treasure, Lord, Lord, that you would grow our affection for you, you would grow our knowledge of you, Lord, and you would grow our love for you, Lord, and it would be demonstrated in our lives. Lord, do that amongst us, Father, Lord, that we might glorify you, that in all things you would be raised high. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.